With a sobering reality that should give us pause, here's Pastor Ed Taylor. People have died in our own city without knowing Jesus Christ. I was so surprised. I came from Southern California where the gospel is just all over, everywhere, large churches, small churches. I just really thought that people in the United States had heard the gospel until I came to Aurora and I started sharing the gospel and I started sharing Jesus Christ. And this person literally said, I've never heard this before in my life. They're here, guys. They're everywhere. You don't need to go across the world to be a missionary, even though that may be what God's calling you to do. How about this? Go across the street. This is amazing grace. This is unfailing love. That you would take my place. That you would bear my cross. You The thought of loved ones and neighbors dying without Christ is a sobering reality. And yet many are seeking to stem the tide of this by prayer and evangelism. In effect, saying dying without Christ won't be without our notice or inaction on our part. That's God's heart too, as we'll hear today on Abounding Grace with Pastor Ed Taylor of Calvary Church, Colorado. As we continue in Romans 1, we'll zoom in on verse 20, a verse that speaks of those who reject the Lord and how they are without excuse, yet not without the notice and inaction of God or His people. But first, we'll turn to Matthew 28, a famous passage often referred to as the Great Commission. Yet for some, it has become the Great Omission. I'll tell you what, as you're patiently and persistently obedient, you begin to gain more and more of the heart and the nature of your Savior. You realize to whoever you present yourself to as a student, the teacher will teach you. You present yourself to Jesus Christ as a student, and he'll teach you how to live your life. He'll teach you how to overcome sin. He'll teach you how to have a heart for the lost. That is the peace of the heart of Jesus that I want more and more of in my life. Before I was a Christian, personally, my life, I didn't care about anybody except me. Nobody, even people that cared for me, even people that was sacrificed for me, I didn't care. When I got saved, this whole reservoir of care started being filled up, and I found myself caring for even strangers, let alone the people that love me. And you know, the same thing's happening in you. You're beginning to care. Oh, maybe you're not as bad as I was, and you didn't live a life that didn't really care. But I'll tell you, from the eyes of Jesus, you care about people that you might have not cared about before. Through the eyes of Jesus now, like Jesus said, what did he come to do but to seek? And now you're seeking the lost. And he came to save the lost. And so now you're not only seeking, but you want to bring the gospel into their lives because now you want to see them get saved. That's what it's all about. You just don't want to deliver them from what, what they're in bondage to, but you want to see them saved. Think about the hardest person in your life right now, the most difficult person you deal with, the person at work that you're just like, if that brother got saved, if that sister got saved, everything would change. Amen? Isn't it true? Oh, okay, nobody believes that. Did I start over? A few of you believe. Think about that person. If that person was saved today, wouldn't things change? Are you guys with me? Yeah. Okay, I just want to make sure because Jesus realized that with everybody. There was nobody in the life of Jesus 
that Jesus could not see what potential could come in their life if they would just surrender. And it's that message that Jesus gives us in Matthew 28. Matthew 28, Jesus says, beginning in verse 18, Jesus came and spoke to them saying, all authority has been given to me. That's our savior. It's our Lord. Jesus is our teacher. He's our leader. He's our shepherd. He's our encourager. He's our strength. He's our hope. All authority has been given to him in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I've commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Amen. We have a message. Christianity is a missionary message. Christianity is a message that we have that was designed to be shared. And so as Jesus shares some of his final words with his disciples, he says, I want you to go therefore. But do you know in this section here in Matthew 28 that the verb is not go? Rather, in the original language, that word is actually translated really going. So the idea with Jesus here is while you're going, it's just an assumption It's just what we do. We are in the world. We're not of the world. We're out among people. As we are going, the emphasis is on the words, make disciples. That's the emphasis. As you are going and as you live your life and all that you people you know and the people you work with and the people in your neighborhood, the people sitting right next to you in this room, while you're on the way, while you're going, make disciples. You know, it's been said, and I believe it's true that a church or a believer that does not evangelize will soon fossilize. He'll just dry up. You know, so many people are bummed out in their Christian faith. They're not excited about the things of God. You can even develop a critical spirit. Let me give you the solution about a critical spirit. Go tell somebody about Jesus Christ. And as you're telling people about Jesus and someone gets saved, it'll rejuvenate you. You'll just be so excited. I'll tell you, This is just to those, you might be in this room, you might be listening by CD or on the radio right now. Let me just say to you, if you have a critical spirit right now, when's the last time you've told somebody about the love of Jesus Christ? I would guess it hadn't been a while. I would guess that it hasn't been a mandate in your heart. I would guess that it's been easier to find things to be upset about and to find things to let that root of bitterness grow instead of seeing the lost and dying people in just the time that I've just shared in the last five, six minutes. Thousands of people have died and gone into a Christless eternity. People have died in our own city without knowing Jesus Christ. I was so surprised. I came from Southern California where the gospel is just all over everywhere, large churches, small churches. I I just really thought that people in the United States had heard the gospel until I came to Aurora and I started sharing the gospel and I started sharing Jesus Christ. And this person literally said, I've never heard this before in my life. They're here, guys. They're everywhere. You don't need to go across the world to be a missionary, even though that may be what God's calling you to do. How about this? Go across the street and minister to your neighbor. Talk to them about the love of Jesus. It'll deal with all that bitterness that gets caught up in us. And we all deal with it. I mean, if you're not dealing with it right now, it'll come. Pain start that. Difficulties in marriages create that. Issues that we never wanted in our life happen. It happens to all of us. But I'll tell you, the way out is to, while you're going, make disciples. Have in your heart, burn in your mind the desire of Jesus for you to win, disciple, and send. That is the heart of our church. 
That's the heart of our lives, that every opportunity, every conversation could very well lead to salvation. I was talking to somebody on Thursday night. We had a question and answer time. It was glorious. Great. You open it up and any question doesn't matter. We'll answer any question. We'll open the word. We had a great time after words, a young woman came up to me and was starting to share about the, the church and what a blessing this church has been to her and how wonderful it was. And the way that she came was she and her husband, they're saved, and they were out eating at one of the local restaurants in town here. And the waitress decided that during her break, instead of going off during her break, that she would sit down and share the gospel with this family. Now, they're already saved. So, she, so the gal decided, you know what? I'm just going to let her share all the way. I'm going to let her keep thinking I'm not saved and just kind of let her practice on me. And after she did, and they started talking about the church and talking about the, they find themselves invited to the church. They come to the church, they plug into the church and they begin to grow. I mean, that was just over a few lobster tails or whatever. I don't know what she ordered. I should ask, what'd you order exactly? But you know, she ordered, she didn't, she ordered food. She got Jesus. Isn't that great? Everywhere, anywhere. Well, he says, go therefore, make disciples. It's not just a calling. You, you can't leave here today and say, well, I don't have the gift of evangelism. No, 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 no. Huh? You are an evangelist. You have a message. It's meant to be shared. You can't go to, well, you know, I'm really not good at that. Okay, practice. You'll get good. You'll get real good. People ask you questions. You go, oh, man, what is that? I'll have to go look it up. And then you'll study. And then you'll look it up. And you'll come back with an answer. And you go, wow, that wasn't that hard after all. And then the next person, and that's how you grow. He says, make disciples, baptize them. We're going to have a water baptism next month out at the reservoir. It's such a beautiful time where we get to make a public statement to everybody there that here are men and women that have dedicated their lives to Jesus Christ. It's so cool. You've got to come. If you've never been before, you've got to come, whether you're being baptized or not, because it is a glorious time. We just take over the place, you know? That's just, it's, oh, it's Calvary Chapel Reservoir on uh, Baptism Day. It's a great thing. And then he says in Matthew, he tells them, I want you to, to teach them. I want you to teach them because every believer is a teacher. Each one of you is empowered and equipped to teach. Isn't that great? You have something to share. You, you have something. Every time you're in the, the time of study here, you're learning and you could turn around and teach somebody what you just heard. You say, this is what the word of God says. This is what it means. And this is what it means in your life. That's teaching. So you don't have to come to this place where one day I might attain to being a teacher. You are a teacher. Anything you learn, you can teach. Anything you take in, you can teach. You go, well, I don't know what to say. Well, just tell somebody what you know. Well, who do I, who do I tell? Well, here, here's the key. Find somebody that knows less than you do and tell them what you know, right? Because every week, if we're not exercising our faith, if we're not evangelizing, very naturally, I mean, you don't need to go to King Supers with a loaf of bread and stand up on the cart. Everybody see the bread. Jesus said he's the bread of life. You don't need to do that. You might want it one day. That'd be cool. Come back and share a testimony. There you go. Arrested me for Jesus, man. But God opens doors all the time, doesn't he? And if we're not looking for him, if we're not looking for him, we'll miss him. And I've just come to the conclusion of my personal walk with Jesus that I don't want to miss any open doors anymore. I don't know that I'm not. I'm sure I will, but I don't want to. And if I walk out my door or I come to work or I'm driving or I'm in shopping and I have that mindset, then I believe the Lord will use me. And so Paul in Romans 1 now opens up the letter as he writes this note 
It's really a deep theological letter to the church in Rome. He's writing both to believers and unbelievers alike. And he doesn't take long to share the gospel. He shares it right from the gate. And he shares it repeatedly. Remember, in verse 16 of chapter 1, Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Next to the word gospel, what can you write? But good news, because the gospel is good news. So I'm not ashamed of this message. I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. Because I know it in it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes. Now, there might be those out here wanting to help externally, but the gospel changes internally. It changes a life. It brings new life. The Bible says that unless a man is born again, well, how are you born again? But by receiving the word of God and responding to it. And the spirit of God will change you from the inside out. In the gospel is power for everyone who believes, the Jew first and also for the Greek, because in it is the righteousness of God. You see, you can't work your way to heaven. Your righteousness is as filthy rags. You, you, you can't work your way to heaven. You can't be good enough, but you can receive the righteousness that's found in Jesus. And we've looked at these in previous studies. I'm trying to catch you up with the context here. In it is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith that is written, the just shall live by faith. Now, verse 18. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness because what may be known of God is manifest in them for God has shown it to them. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. You might just want to mark that without excuse. Without excuse. He starts out chapter 2, verse 1. Therefore, you are inexcusable. Without excuse. Back to verse 21. Because although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God, nor were thankful, but became futile. That word also means empty or void in their thoughts, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools and changed the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like corruptible man and birds and four-footed beasts and creeping things. So I'll tell you, as you're out sharing the gospel, a lot of people don't like the message. Have you noticed? Don't be surprised. You're talking to people about Jesus and they're not happy about it. It is a very uncomfortable thing to talk about eternity, especially when you're living in darkness and in sin and God has sent somebody into your life to call you on it. That's not an easy thing. And so there are those that will, you'll come across, many will push you away. They will resist you. They will suppress the truth that you share with them and they do it a lot of ways. Some people get very, very angry. Some people just say, forget, I don't want to talk about religion or politics. And other people will try to ask questions to get you off target. So you want to talk about Jesus, but they want to talk about such and such. Well, today I want to answer a question for you that I think stumbles many, many believers, and it doesn't have to stumble you. I want to equip you to answer a question that I am sure many of you have heard before. And as you're sharing the gospel, somebody might come and say, now, wait a minute, I understand all this. I understand what the Bible says, but what about those that have never heard? Or sometimes it's asked this way. What about those in the deep, dark jungles, way back behind all the vines and the rainforests that have never heard the gospel, never seen a Bible, never been to church? What about them? Well, today I want to answer that question for you. And I want to equip you so that you can answer it too. Because in the back of your mind, understand this. When someone asks that question, that is really not the heart of the matter. We'll get an answer to the question, but that's really not the heart of the matter. The heart of the matter is, as that question says, what about those that are never heard? The real matter is, no, what about you that have heard?
That's the key. So keep that in the back of your mind. You don't need to be distracted. We can give a good answer. It's important for us to give good answers, you know. It's important for us. The, the Christian faith is not a faith that asks you to empty yourself of all your mental faculties. So, well, it's just blind faith. Leap it off. I don't know where I'm going. It's not that way at all. The Christian faith is a very intelligent faith because our God is very intelligent. Wouldn't you say? I mean, that's an understatement, right? God's a genius. He knows everything that ever needs to be known. And, you know, he wants us to think through our faith, not just empty our mind and just, well, just take a blind faith and trust me on it. No, the Bible says just show yourself approved. You can study the word and see it for yourself. And so Paul answers this question, what about the pygmies? That's another way it has. What about, I've never met a pygmy in my life, have you? But what about the pygmies? Well, we're going to answer that as we look at this section of scripture. The first thing I want you to know, just in, as you prepare for this, is at the end of verse 20, whoever we're talking about is without excuse. There are no excuses. Nobody's going to be able to stand before God and have an excuse of why they rejected the truth that they knew. Nobody's going to have an excuse. Everyone will be judged fairly and righteously. Flip over to John's gospel, chapter five. Let me show you. John five, Jesus talks about the righteous judgment that is in his hands. We're so thankful, aren't we, that God has chosen to reveal himself to us and that God is a true and holy and a righteous judge so that anyone that stands before him will be without excuse. There will be no excuses in heaven. Look at John's gospel, chapter 5, pick up in verse 28. John 5, verse 28, do not marvel at this, for the hour is coming in which all, you might want to just mark that, all who are in the graves will hear his voice and come forth. Those who have done good to the resurrection of life, those who have done evil to the resurrection of condemnation. And verse 30 says, I can do nothing of myself as I hear I judge. And here, you might want to circle this. And my judgment is righteous. Jesus Christ is a fair and righteous judge because he says, I do not seek my own will, but the will of the father who sent me. So God has revealed himself to a dark and depraved earth. That's the earth that we live on. It is dark and depraved and getting darker and more depraved. Things are not moving forward and upward and we're getting better. Things are moving downward and farther away from God and things are getting worse. From time to time, you may meet someone and say, oh, no, no, things are getting better. Things are not getting better. As a matter of fact, chapter 1 of Romans, chapter 1 and 2, shows us a downward spiral of man, of how far man has fallen. It's only when a man or a woman gives his life to Jesus Christ that things start to look up, when cities get turned right side up. And when you see God revealing himself, which he does, think of it in the context of a dark and depraved world, even more personally, a dark and depraved life. You ever go down to the caves in Colorado Springs? They call the caves of the wind, cave of the winds. You go down a little tour there. I mean, wouldn't it be cool that all caves had little rails and lights in them? I mean, that would be pretty cool. You go in, you walk through, you see all the things hanging, stalagmites. I don't even know which one is which, but you know what I'm talking about. Those things hanging up there. Then they'll take you to a place down in the middle, and they'll say, "Okay, for those of you that are not afraid of the dark." stay here. If you're afraid of the dark, get out as fast as you can. And so you kind of get left with a group of people and what do they do? But they turn all the lights out and it's pretty dark. I mean, it's dark. It's a kind of darkness that you can feel. It's like you can have, you could feel the heat of your hands. You know, people are there. You could, it is eerie to be in that kind of darkness, but in that kind of darkness, 
the smallest spark lights the whole room up. You don't need to put a bonfire in there, just a little spark in everything. Your eyes immediately adjust and you see it. Well, think of it now in the darkness of this world. God has shed his light in this world for every human being to see. And Paul mentions two of them here. And then as you go through, he mentions the third as we'll walk through. And so what about those that have never heard? Well, let's ask the question, what have they done with the light that they've received? Okay, now go back to Romans 1. It says, for since verse 20, the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made even as eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Light number one that every human being has seen is the light of creation. Every single human being, whether they live in the city or in the deepest, darkest jungle, can be able to see creation and come to the same conclusion, I didn't do this. I didn't do it. And I couldn't do it. And I can't duplicate it. There is someone or something much larger than me that has created this beautiful jungle, the beautiful sunset. Do you've been watching the sunsets lately? I was on my patio last night, just hanging out as the sun was setting. And I mean, who but our precious heavenly father could paint the sky like that, man. Those beautiful colors. And I mean, it, it just, it blows me away. Pastor Ed Taylor on Abounding Grace. And you've been listening to a study in Romans chapter one called, What About Those Who Have Never Heard? You can hear it again online at AboundingGraceRadio.com. And Pastor Ed, as you know, this is a common objection raised by many. To some, it seems unfair that God would send someone to hell if they've never heard the gospel. But as you just pointed out, everyone has seen the light of creation. Could you elaborate on that? You know, everyone does have the light of creation, Larry. Everyone has been given access to the truth of God. It starts with the light of creation, right? We're, in a, we're using the metaphor light as a reference to the darkness of being separated from God, born and dead in our trespasses and sins. And there isn't anyone anywhere on the planet Earth in any generation that hasn't been given the light of creation. Just recognizing that the tree in front of them, the mountain in front of them was not created by them. And they can look at how hard it is for them to build something, maybe a hut or a house or whatever. And they're like, man, I didn't, I didn't even create the wood that I'm using. I didn't even create the mud that I'm using. And so everyone, no matter what generation, has the light of creation. Also, every generation has the light of their conscience that innately in every single human being, no matter what language, what tribe, what tongue, what nation, knows the difference between right and wrong. And if they respond to the light of creation, they respond to the light of their own conscience, they will then be given that revelation of Christ. And it's done a lot of different ways. So everyone's going to be held accountable for what they know before a holy and a righteous God. And hell seems like a very difficult concept uh, to receive, but it's not a concept, it's a reality. And it's put under the backdrop of eternal salvation. That's a greater, like, the, the flames of hell don't shock me as much as the shock of spending eternity with God through his son Jesus Christ because of thinking of how evil and wicked and bad I was um, to think that God would love me. That's more of a shock. It's not that people reject Christ, it's that God didn't reject me, but then sent his only son to die on my behalf. I think we got it all wrong. People get upset about hell. At the same time, they want justice when they're wronged. 
They and not only do they want justice, but they want more than justice. Uh, they want you know if they were hurt, they want the other person to hurt double. And hell is is a difficult is a difficult truth to receive. I I acknowledge that, but your eyes are in the wrong place. It's we're not to focus on hell, but we're to focus on the God who loves you, and didn't even create hell for humans. He was created for the fallen angels, and it's His desire. He's not willing that any should perish, but have everyone would come to repentance. So please decide to follow God. It's his heart to live with you forever. Thanks for that question. Thanks for elaborating on that, Pastor Ed. Abounding Grace is made possible through the generosity of our listeners. Each gift that comes in serves to help us pay for radio time. And think of this, you'll be helping thousands all over the world learn about God's abounding grace and how to grow by it. And today, when you give a donation of $25 or more, you're invited to request a book by Pastor Greg Laurie and Ellen Vaughn called Jesus Revolution. Some of you were alive to remember how God got a hold of an unlikely group of men and women in the 60s and 70s. You'll read the amazing true story of the Jesus movement, an amazing time of mass revival, renewal, and reconciliation. Can God do it again? You bet. Call us right now so we can drop this in the mail to you. We're at 877-30-GRACE. We'll pick up where we left off in Romans tomorrow on Abounding Grace with Pastor Ed Taylor. This is amazing grace. This is unfailing love. That you would take my place. Abounding Grace is brought to you by Calvary Church Colorado here in Aurora.